Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by Emory Marking Analytics Center. FandomAnalytics.com is our address. As we were getting ready to go live, Doug said to me, well, let's just turn on the mics and see what happens, which genuinely makes me laugh, right? This is this is the time of year that, like, I mean, I guess if you're a baseball fan, this is a amazing time of year this is really where it's getting it's getting tough it's getting sort of down and dirty you know the the yankees i guess are on a historic losing streak and we'll talk a little bit about baseball's prospects because we'll talk some about this next generation survey as we go through the podcast today but you know if you've disengaged from baseball and i think a lot of the popular culture has is is, everything has moved towards football well then if that's the case then we're two weeks away doug we're two weeks away from stuff getting from everything getting real. And so we're in almost a little bit of a holding pattern, right? Where it's just kind of this daily media grind of, oh, let's talk about Jordan Love and how the Packers have made an upgrade at quarterback or how Justin Fields is finally going to break through or my favorite, should Aaron Rodgers be playing in the preseason, right? So they're, they're fun stories, but they're not, they're, they're almost not real stories, right? Yeah, the the one curious non-story to me, and I say non-story because it hasn't really been covered, but to me, it's like, why is no one talking about this? Is the fact that when I watch Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, they play for like two series each game. And I'm sitting there like, this isn't Aaron Rodgers. This is a guy who's never played an NFL game before. And he goes out there and throws maybe two incompletions, one completion, and they pull him. Like, yeah, he's ready to go for (laughs) for the season. And by the same token, so you got these rookie quarterbacks not getting much tread, but then the running backs are getting quite a bit, quite a bit of carries, you know, at least 10 carries for some of those top guys. And those are guys that are, are kind of already there. I mean, Robinson for the Falcons is, I believe, the highest paid running back in the league this year for a reason. And it's because the general managers have learned to value those those early years of these running backs and so those guys are getting 10 to 20 carries a game the quarterbacks aren't getting any play i'm sitting here watching i'm like why isn't a guy like bryce young getting more snaps like why is he getting aaron Rodgers' treatment okay and and again we're this mix of sports entertainment popular culture and you know as you're talking about some of those guys the falcons running back robinson right Mm -hmm. You know, he's listed as third on the Falcons depth chart at running back right now. And Bryce Young got some attention on social media because he came out and said that before NIL, he was working as an Uber Eats driver. Yeah, I think he was delivering pizzas to the boosters for (laughs) six-figure tips. (laughs) Uh, And so, I mean, and and I think it just kind of highlights kind of the absurdity of the preseason one thing I will say is I think the Panthers probably want to protect Young. Having watched him play against my Giants, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he, he, it's, it's a little scary back there for him. And unfortunately for them, unless they rest him for the majority of the season, I don't know if there's any getting around the fact that he's going to take some hits this year. Well, you know, I love rookie quarterbacks. <laughs> You know, and especially top-ranked rookie quarterbacks because they come in, you know, before the draft, they're all future Hall of Famers. Five years later, or really, you know, three years later, think about, you know, three years later with that last 
epic quarterback class. It's a question of what's going to happen to these guys. I mean, that last great quarterback class, right? Trevor Lawrence looks like he's going to be a pro ball player. And the rest, there's still massive question marks. I saw something that said Mac Jones is kind of on the hot seat. And, and I think this is what happens, right? Year three is this magical year when the contracts start to get interesting. And so, yeah, Stroud, Young, Levis, Anthony Richardson. It's always going to be fun to watch. Hey, last year's number one quarterback, he started to get some interesting buzz, hasn't he? And it has a lot to do with, you know, the the old Dominique Wilkins line, right? The human highlight film. Mm-hmm. George Pickens is the NFL human highlight film. George Pickens, I think he was on a leash at Georgia. And <laughs> he's a guy that it's pretty fun to see him off the leash. Yeah, I, I used to always have a little bit of anxiety about him getting himself into trouble off the field or when he was a Georgia Bulldog. And I think every Georgia fan had this sigh of relief when he made it through his couple of years and nothing happened. It just, he felt like a time bomb, that kid, just because he's so unorthodox. I, I don't know. He's he's hilarious. He's kind of like, he reminds well, that, me of the, the Joker and Batman. Yes, when he was at Georgia, because it seems like in every one of these highlights, when, when he catches the ball with one hand or, you know, when he, when he does whatever, when he does what Pickens does, right? He says something to the defense back. So is this all throw the ball out of? <laughs> yeah. He's going to set a record for unsportsmanlike conduct this yeah. year. I, I really, I see it coming. And the other thing, he's a physical player. Like when he's blocking, he practically tackles the guy when he is running. I mean, when he's running his routes, he pushes off a lot. I mean, he's, He's if if he gets the wrong official, he's going to draw some flags for sure. The way he plays football, but there's no doubt about the fact that he's incredibly entertaining. I I'll go out on a limb. I'll say he's the most entertaining receiver I've seen since Chad Ochocinco. I look, I agree. I think he is, and again, we're in this new internet internet social media era. He's magic on social media, right? And nothing better that I get excited if I hear there's a George Pickens clip on Twitter. And right? it seems like there is every single day, every practice, every day he's on there. He's got to stay healthy. If he stays healthy though, that man is a, a <laughs> meme waiting to happen <laughs> at all times. And like I said, Chad Ochocinco, I, he's the last receiver. I remember who felt that way. I remember as a kid, watching the games and just hoping he would score, not because I cared about the game, because I wanted to see what he would do. I wanted to see how he would taunt the opponent or what kind of dance he would do. Or, you know, if he'd go propose to a cheerleader. And George Pickens is, he brings that same energy to the Steelers. I think the fans love it. So long as it's all good, innocent fun, which it has been so far, there's no question as to his love for the game of football. He's a competitor. He's tremendously gifted, more so than probably anyone else at his position in the league, has yet to have the kind of performance in terms of his statistics that would showcase elite talent. But it seems like he's on the brink of a breakout this year. That's at least what the buzz is in Pittsburgh. And I know Steelers fans are hoping the duo of Pickens and Pickett is one that pays dividends for that franchise for years to come. Well, and this is why, you know, the NFL writes its own stories, right? You look at the NFC, the AFC North, right? And, and you see how suddenly, at least at the beginning of the season, there's a great story in every city. 
There's a redemption yeah. arc in Cleveland. There is the magic of Joe Burrows. How about hey, how about Joe Burrow throwing to Kenny Pick? Sorry, George, this is George. Pick. Yeah, this is my confusion. You, <laughs> you, got, you got you know Burrow maybe getting to that next level of the Super Bowl. You've got Lamar Lamar Jackson with this mega contract. Those are four great stories, and that's not unusual for the NFL. And, and, you know, you can kind of make yourself crazy, right? When you start to think about all those, suddenly like, oh, yeah, the Steelers could break back through. But wait, Burroughs is going to the Super Bowl. But wait, Jackson's returning to MVP level. But wait. And Jackson's got Todd Munkin at OC. They were talking about it on ESPN just yesterday. You know, he's got a new OC and a guy who's been successful everywhere he's been. So, I mean, I could see that being a huge story. So you're right. I mean, the stories write themselves in that division, particularly. Those four. Well, we could do the same thing in the AFC East, right? Yeah. Those four stories in the the AFC North. I would argue that's about as good as you get going into every like NBA season, right? Hey, Mike, I'm curious: is the NFL leaving money on the table by not doing like a hard knocks of all of these teams? Like, would every Whatever I was thinking about this the other day. I watched the the documentary that SEC Network did for Georgia's team this last year, and there's all this footage that you didn't see during the season. It's like, wow, if they had followed the team like this during the season, every Georgia fan I know, every single night would have come home from work, flipped on SEC Network, and watched the recap of practice and the locker room and where the players were at and all that. That's essentially what Hard Knocks is for the NFL. They do it for one team. There's so many stories that write themselves, and the fan bases seem to be so engaged. Uh, and we'll look at some of the the fandom numbers later in the show. But I'm, I'm just curious why why aren't we following these teams like that on a broadcast level? Let me ask you this question. I mean, do you feel like we're getting oversaturated with that kind of narrative storytelling in parallel? I don't know. I, as a fan, I will I'll eat it up. I would well, watch yeah. the Giants in Georgia every single day. Okay, so like Johnny Manziel, the, the Manziel documentary. And, and I may have said this on the podcast. I hope I didn't say this on the podcast last week. I really wanted to have seen that, but I didn't want to watch it, if that makes if that makes sense to you. It's like there's too much of this stuff in a way out there. Like, you know, because I, I mean, and, I, and in some ways it probably goes back to 30, you know, the, the ESPN 30 for 30 kind of series. And then we got the – the amazing, you know, Michael Jordan last last dance during the oh, yeah. early days of COVID, and then Drive to Survive. But now, you know, we got one of these with the PGA Tour. We've got, you know, you know, it's like every time you flip on one of the streaming services, there's a new sports documentary. But um, I, I gotta add, we're talking about F1 and <laughs> a has been NFL quarterback. I'm talking about in real time where there is demand and fan bases that are craving they're on Twitter, scouring the internet for little practice clips, you know, documentation, real time, following these teams, these players, these stories. Cause oftentimes like with Johnny Manziel, we find out after the fact that there was this great story. We didn't know any of that. Okay. Uncensored. Do you have, does anyone get final cut approval? I mean, is this stuff, is this stuff cleaned up or is this stuff kind of, kind of, I don't know because Texas, I think Texas football did something like this a couple years back. And I know that like, like at the college level, I know a school like Georgia, they don't let the media attend, but you know, when they're stretching at practice. So they're, I mean, everything's top secret lockdown. 
they don't want cameras. They don't want, you know, opponents seeing what they're doing at practice or seeing the personalities of players and, and where there might be, you know, a player who might be easily set off in certain ways. Like they don't want that. But on the flip side of that now with, with NIL, uh, you have an opportunity to organically grow the brands of all the players and gives them a leg up in terms of their marketing ability and gives your school a leg up in terms of recruiting. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, some more of that. And as far as who signs off, I think that's the question. I think that's why we haven't seen this. I think that's why the last dance came out last year or two years ago and not, you know, in, in 1997. Well, Doug, let me ask you this. I mean, you know, as you go through that, I, I see what you're saying. And, you know, I, I think the NFL would be, you know, a lot of teams would be kind of terrified of putting it all out there. And, and you know what? Hard knocks. God, I used to love hard knocks. But at some point I said, you know, they've built they build up this drama about the guy that's going to be the the fifth receiver on a team. Right. Right. Who may or may not get cut. But they they put it out like they're like, this guy's going to change the the face of football. You know, maybe where this is your idea is really needed is a sport like Major League Baseball, where you know there, there's almost too much danger in doing it in football, but in, ba- in Major League Baseball, where you know you're almost trying to you're almost trying to produce those 30 second clips that can go viral or those 10 second clips that can go viral, and you know people essentially. I mean, look, we just had this com- this strange little conversation about some of these quarterbacks. I don't think baseball has any of those personalities, right? And, and again, baseball has those personalities. I don't think baseball has communicated any, any of those personalities to right. the general public. Yeah, and I, I again, I think it's where you look at Drive to Survive and how they've created like, yeah, it's like a non-racing racing fan base. It's people that just like watching a good story and ended up wrapped up in the stories of these competitors. And I think that's the opportunity for any of these leagues i think that like we talk a lot about the WNBA and the push that it kind of feels inauthentic at times from the networks and and media kind of pushing that on people but it's like what if we what if we follow the stories of some of these because stories are stories i mean it doesn't matter what level you know we watch qb1 for high school football like it doesn't matter what level of competition if there's an intriguing story a character that people are you know tend to lend themselves toward it, it tends to be something that can grow fandom and so i again like the nfl yeah they're good they've got fandom i'm just curious if they're leaving money on the table as far as like hey you could probably have like the top 10 most watched shows if you just had a show for the cowboys and for the steelers and for some of these teams with massive fan bases but but for other leagues that are trying to grow or even facing challenges with the younger generations like the major league baseball it, it does seem to present an opportunity well i mean how much i mean it's a good question does the nfl leave money on the table right and and you could you know you could almost work backwards and go well how much could they how much could they charge for the Super Bowl on pay-per-view, right? And, yeah. and But then that gets to a deeper question of, you know, if you'd move to pay-per-view, you know, can you sustain that 100 million person audience, right? Or do you instantly cut it to 50 million? And then it sort of slowly, slowly drips down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here, here's a question for you, Doug. Has the NFL and their success – has that damaged these other teams? Right? Is the NFL leaving money on the the ta- leaving money on the table? Yeah, maybe in the short term, in the long term, 
I'm not sure. And we'll, we'll t- we can talk about the long term in terms of, you know, Gen Z and, and Gen Alpha. Uh, but I mean, do you I, look, I kind of feel like the NFL competes with all these other leagues, even when they're not playing. Yeah, for and sure. Part of me wonders how healthy that is for sort of a general sports culture. Like when I grew up, you know, you're a Bears fan, Cubs fan, Bulls fan, right? Cross the board. Hawks fan, maybe. White Sox fan, depending on where you, where you live. I, re- I remember as a kid, this is, I mean, to, to your point, as a kid, I was a New York Giants fan, first and foremost. And when I became interested in basketball, which was later NBA, I remembered that the Nets played in the same facilities, same area as the New York Giants. And I just assumed the Nets are like the basketball team for the Giants. Like it's one, this is one fan base in the same way that the Georgia basketball team is the basketball team for the Georgia football team. So I became a New Jersey Nets fan because they played at East Rutherford and I pulled for the Nets as a Giants fan. And that's because that's kind of how things had always been presented to me. And that is not the case for kids now. Like you'll have a kid who is a Boston Red Sox fan and Los Angeles Lakers fan. They like the Red Sox and they like the Lakers or they like the Red Sox and they like the Knicks. (laughs) Um, And so it's, it is a different era in terms of I mean, you talked about this two weeks ago. Location doesn't seem to factor in as much with, with you know, what, what teams people root for. It is a good question where it's going. You know, you know, as we have this conversation, I think in the background is this report on Gen Z fandom yeah. that we're going to publish on the on the website this week. You've looked at some of that. I mean, you know, it's hard to talk about these numbers on the podcast because you know it's hard to talk about numbers in a pure audio format. Yeah. But, you know, the, the uh, well, the, I mean, the big takeaway from this year's survey is that there's two generations that are where fandom seems to be suffering. And that's at the top and at the bottom. Right. So it, it, it appears that, that, you know, the baby boomers are losing some interest in, in terms of sports, at least in terms of and I'll be sort of specific here in terms of, well, actually, the baby boomers are kind of generally losing interest in sports and entertainment. Gen Z seems to have a particular issue, and especially younger Gen Zs, a an issue with what I think of as the big three sports, but I also think of them as the sports that are part of the national conversation. And that's mm-hmm. football, baseball, and basketball. And one of the things I get concerned about is well, maybe there's only going to be one sport that is part of the national conversation. That's football. And everything else is going to be at the level of, you know, 5 million people watching for their championship event. Yeah, it's it's it would have been kind of silly to say that maybe 10 or 20 years ago, but it seems to be kind of the trajectory that we're on. And one thing that's interesting to me about, you mentioned the top, and the bottom, both kind of being a little bit disengaged from sports in terms of fandom, uh, and that that being the boomers and Gen Z. But it, I do wonder if the efforts that these leagues make for Gen Z are what cause boomers to be disengaged, and vice versa. The efforts, if if you tailor your content for an audience that has a different set of values because they're so disengaged 
and Doug, you might, you, then that effect might just having two audiences that are before disengaged. We, before we get to even the values, and I think that's part of the equation, what do you even think about the way you tailor the content now, where you go into a sports arena and there's all this advertising they hit you with, there's mm-hmm. all this music that plays, you know, every time something happens, they shoot off fireworks. You know, in Major League Sports, you know, going to a Braves game, there's a race between the Home Depot tools. I think there's the Gas South fireworks for a for a strikeout. There's advertise and look, one of the things that actually does kind of bother me as a 56 year old marketing professor, okay, is everywhere you look in any of these arenas, you see advertising. Yeah, and so is the experience also kind of different you know and, and look i mean if you're a serious sports fan and you want to watch the game you're a serious sports fan doug do you find that stuff distracting or are you just or for your generation it's so second nature that you you're expecting think, to see ads on the basis right right we're so used to it i mean it, like i remember when the nba first introduced the logo the jerseys with the ads on them or whatnot brand sponsors not a huge fan of that never been a huge fan of that but you look at like nascar where they're just used to it and it's just kind of part of it nobody bats an eye you know it's right in front of them i mean it's kind of jumping off the screen and in your face and nobody and so there is I think it's become that way for my generation where okay. we're so used to being marketed at. Or Here's another question. You know, NASCAR has kind of fallen on hard times. Is part of the, is, is it a consequence <clears throat> that if you, as you go away from sometimes, sometimes the podcast is more philosophical, Doug. <laughs> so as you go away from sort of the purest of the sport as your fans to this is an experience. You know, in NASCAR, go ahead, get drunk on the infield. You know, major league stadiums, let's say tool races, fireworks, music. As you go away from the emphasis on fans that love a game and are one with the team to this is an experience for everyone, does that shatter fandom, right? Does that take away the – because I got news. I'll just make a prediction. You're the twelfth man when you watch a Georgia game, right? Yeah, I mean, well okay. and, and so you're right. And so, are we destroying the twelfth man fandom to have a body of fans that are kind of, hey, it's kind of cool to be here, right? Yeah, and that's like my critique a lot of times at sporting events. Like uh, even at a Georgia game, they'll do like a sing along in the third quarter, and you'll be in this intense game, and the crowds. <laughs> just has this completely hostile environment toward the other team and they'll want to sing some song from the seventies in unison, you know, hold hands and (laughs) saying, it's like, this is kind of interrupting my game here, my intense, you know, this hostile environment that we're trying to create. And I, that's a lot of times my criticism, I've said it before on the show uh, at professional sporting events, I always feel I'm like, it feels like a major league ba- or a minor league baseball game to me sometimes where cuz at minor league baseball games they really go above and beyond and part of it is because nobody is there because they're a diehard fan of the team and so it kind of makes sense just Savannah Bananas doing all kinds of fads or <laughs> dances or whatever they can do to engage an audience but when you go to an NFL football game and they're doing the same stuff and it's like this is supposed to be a serious thing like this is 
I take this seriously. It doesn't seem like you take this seriously. And now you're, you're like attracting a bunch of people that don't really take it seriously. And it does diminish the experience for someone like me. Well, and, and, and you know, it's, it's going to be a strange thing to say in, in some ways. It's like we've traded fandom and in probably in per, particular, part of this is probably trying to pursue, like you were saying, when you pursue multiple segments, right, you would create a product that is for the mass audience instead of specific segments. But it's you're not gonna, really for anybody. Yeah, yeah you're going to lack sort of that really hardcore thing. Like you didn't grow up with it, but there used to be a product and it's probably still out there for collectors, right? The baseball cards, right? And oh yeah. No, I, th- we, that was the thing when I was yeah. a kid. Yeah. And one of the things about baseball cards are that you knew every player in the league, right? You knew you where knew- they were from, you knew their stats, yeah. you knew <laughs> where you they knew- played college ball. You knew the backup second baseman for the twins, right? Yeah. And you knew their stats. And now, like I said, you don't have that. It's more, I think, about the, well, the dip and dots and, you know, getting the hot dog than it is sort of. You know, be- oh, look, the big, the big mascot guy is racing the other mascot guy and he tripped and fell. Yeah. And look, Doug, I got mixed feelings about it sitting here in Atlanta because I love the freeze. I would like to race the freeze. The freeze. <laughs> Gives the the audience member a big head start. For those of you guys that don't know, gives the audience member an enormous head start, and then races around the outfield dirt and almost always beats the audience member. <laughs> but I also hate the freeze, right? I find it absolutely captivating. But if I go there, I'm like, okay, so I saw you know the paint can or the tool, you know the the screwdriver win the tool race, and I saw the freeze beat the fan. You know, come on. Come on, right? Yeah, I'll just say this. Like, we've talked a little bit this summer about how the best fandom right now is the Taylor Swift fandom. And I I think that Stephen A. Smith video that came out this week, I don't know if you saw it, Mike, but he was talking about what a showstopper she was when he went spent $20,000 to take his girls to see her. But it would be weird if you were at a Taylor Swift concert and while she's changing outfits, if there was a race between... Mm -hmm you know the lighting guy and some silly cartoon looking mascot or if there were a a dance cam for the crowd or whatever you know like it would feel really weird for taylor swift fans and particularly if it had like a dance cam that could still tie that in it had absolutely nothing to do with her or her core product hot dog eating contests on the third level while she changes outfits like it would feel bizarre. And that's to me as a sports fan, that's how it feels. Right. And and you could also add to it and and I, I don't know. Doug, give me a give me a Taylor Swift song. Oh man. <laughs> Forever and always. Forever and always was brought to you by Mercedes Benz. Right. And she's wearing she's wearing a necklace with the yeah. Mercedes logo. And 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 mean Earrings. was brought to you by Nike, right? It's like <laughs> Right. And again, it's like, and I think one of the things that's happened to sports is, right, they've gone down this path, right? And it kind of goes full circle to your point. Are they leaving dollars on the table? Every time you take one of those dollars, you know, the fans, look, no one stops being a fan because, oh, they got a Nike patch on their jersey, right? Or they've got yeah. a Emory Healthcare patch on their on, on their jersey. On no court, one stops. Yeah. But 10 years later, 
10 patches, 10 billboards, you know, 10 tool races. And maybe they stop being, you know, that hardcore fan. And I think that's the thing that these guys miss. And I, I love your example of Taylor Swift because hot dog eating contest yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, the kiss cam or the, the cam that finds the, the lookalike celebrities out there. Right. Uh, you yeah. feel like you have a mutiny within that audience. Well, it just kind of interrupts the, the yeah. show <laughs> and you got to readjust and then you got to, yeah. Or the, the halftime show with the dog doing tricks in between, in between sets, in between eras on the tour. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, back to my point about the generations being kind of like, I don't know, you have to be kind of careful t- tailoring things for one or catering to one audience too much because it it kind of turns off the other or offends them. Like, obviously, we've seen that with politics and sports where the, if you take a hard stance and you're really going toward one audience, the other, other side is not going to be happy and they might even protest it or, or stop watching, turn it off. But even things like, again pulling from experience university of georgia when i was a student there was kind of a transition from playing country music rock and roll you know 70s like classic rock to the stuff the players on the field wanted to hear and would get them juiced up the season ticket holders did not like that the boosters did not like hearing young thug in future and and these guys in the stadium it felt sacrilegious to them to take football something that they've always associated with rock music and country music and to have this like rap playing you know and then when they would so they they would kind of play some of their stuff and the the student like the student section would just die the energy level would just die when they would play some song from the 70s but then they would play the latest like Wiz Khalifa song or something and the sideline is hype and the students are hype and people are saying they're going to stop donating money to the school or stop paying for season tickets because they're sick of it. And so again, it was like whichever way they, they kind of catered the experience toward somebody was upset. There was no getting around it. And part of me wonders if that's why looking at, and again, I guess we need to talk about the numbers, but your next generation phantom survey, why it seems like, that that oldest crowd and that youngest crowd are the two that are most disengaged with sports as a whole. It's like maybe maybe they like an institution like Georgia sees a problem. Oh, we don't have enough young sports fans. Let's tailor it toward them. And maybe they don't really buy it. And then now they've offended their core audience or, or their older audience. I think you're right. There's always and this is more of a marketing a marketer's issue. Every marketer is always concerned about the next generation of consumers, customers. Yeah. And so in sports, it's it's not any different, right? Where I think, you know, where I think they get a lot of it wrong is, you know, and, and the college game is the college game is an interesting one on this on some some different levels, right? Where where they get it wrong is, you you're, you know, when you try and switch over, and you start to try and appeal to twelve year olds. And again, that's kind of where the where's the point of acquisition for sports, Doug? I mean, it's it's like for eight year olds, yeah, right. And so now it's become more apparent because now in social media you can start to see these numbers related to what the thirteen year olds are doing. There was an article on ESPN where the I think the NFL was basically talking about their success with Gen Z and Gen Alpha and how. You know, they had millions of fans on on some of the social media channels and putting it out there as evidence of, well, we're effective for the young people. 
the the survey data that we're talking about suggests that you know social media following is part of it. Social media following is actually highest in millennials, even uh, of teams compared to 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 Gen Z. So I think it's I think your point is just very well taken that you can't look. I mean, if sports fans are eight to eighty, good luck. You know, good luck having the music to play that's going to appeal them. It's almost like you got to have. Well, as you talk about Georgia, I kept thinking. Well, I mean, should they re-record Rocky Top? Should they have sort of a modern hip hop or whatever urban version of Rocky Top? And I think the answer. I think Rocky Top's a great example because Tennessee for a couple of years. I don't know if they still do this, but they did third down for what. Uh, ter- on third down where they would play a Lil John song called turn down for what and it's like this dubstep like trap dubstep song and it's like you got the traditional Rocky Top like eh, no I don't say this in a demeaning way the hillbilly crowd the people that like to hear the banjos and the that's what they associate with Tennessee football now you've got dubstep playing on every single third down like this like club music at the stadium it's it's offensive you know it's jarring to them <laughs> But then you're going back and forth between folk music and dubstep, balancing the two. And, and, and look, maybe you can balance the two if the team's winning, right? If the team's going 10 and 1, 11 and 1. If the team's not doing well, can you balance that? It, look, it, and it is this, it's this kind of this classic marketing idea of, and you said it, you said it yourself, right? If you're, if you're sort of doing something to attract everyone, you're actually not attracting anyone, right? <laughs> and I think, it, it lends itself to a more casual fandom, right? A more experience oriented and more casual fandom where sports has always been magical because, and look, you know, especially when the NFL season, you know, we'll see these videos of guys that are just living and dying with their teams. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, we last year, we, we, I wish I had more of the details, but it was like, there was a Chicago bears fan and his woman, I think, as he called her was making fun of him because the bears had lost and he was just about to throw her out of the house, right? I mean, his. I do, I do remember this one. Yeah. yeah. And I think that level of fandom, the the Bears level of fandom, right? Living and dying with a team, there's probably less of it, and we're shifting more towards this. And, and again, here's a question: Is sports just another entertainment product? Is that where we're heading? Well, I, I think something else is like, if you've ever, I don't know. If, people outside of the South will resonate with this, but there are churches that have multiple services, even simultaneously for their different cohorts. So they'll have like the contemporary and then they'll have like the traditional and then they'll have like the more like charismatic for lack of a better word. So they'll have like basically the rock music service, the choir service, the acapella service. And it's like the, everything is so focused because they don't want to lose, you know, they, they want to build that younger audience, but they also don't want to lose their the people who have been there for 50 years. And I feel like sports have started to go in that direction. You look at something like, like with the NFL, they have the Nickelodeon slime presentation of the game for a couple games a year where they, they do like some animated version of what's going on in live action for kids to watch. And apparently that's their attempt at, at going after the younger generation. And then you watch like Monday Night Football and you can watch the traditional broadcast 
Or you can watch the Manning cast, which is kind of the fun, like bar room. Like there's, I think that maybe an older audience would not prefer that, but people my age who just want to like not take it too seriously and enjoy the personalities and that, like they'd rather watch, even if it weren't the Mannings, even if it were Jake and Logan Paul watching a game, there's an audience for that. And And so it's like, are we going to have 10 different broadcasts of every game at some point? And I feel like I'm asked, you know, sort of being the kind of the different kind of professor here where I'm asking you more questions than giving opinions or answers, right? Because, you know, sports is supposed to be this. Okay, so Nickelodeon and you add slime to the NFL games. I don't know, right? I, you know, I understand that it's a, it's a, it's an effort to acquire those young fans to get them interested. So it's like you're, you're, the, the slime is the candy, and then they get intrigued by the NFL. But on the other hand, do they then say, "Well, I like this NFL when there's slime, but I don't really care for the NFL when it, this is just boring, right?" Do you do you set yourself up so the transition for them to get to that next level of fandom? is more difficult uh, to this question of, you know, should you have like custom, almost like custom announcers and, and different viewing experiences? Again, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but if sports was always this kind of unifying thing and now people are sort of looking at different versions of their NFL right. games or their MLB games, do you start to break down the cohesion in that fan base? Now, and, I, and I think the problem on all these things that we're talking about now is they're really difficult for marketers to measure and understand, right? Because there are effects that may play out over, you see a bump in the ratings when you do something one week, but are you degrading that core fandom over the course of several years? And so they're really tough things for marketers to, to fully understand in the moment. Yeah, and to your point about having multiple broadcasts. I'm not saying that it can't be done, particularly in, in today's era, but it will be different or would be different. And like, imagine the Cubs fan base had there been 10 different broadcasts all these years. Like some of those classic Harry Carey calls, that would have been 10% of the audience consuming those. The other 10% is listening to some other guy, some TikTok star, you know, some... Some guy, or, or there's an audience that doesn't want their, their broadcaster to be drunk. Right. You know, Harry Carey starts... <laughs> He starts working R-rated. No, I mean you can you can imagine that it kind of spirals into very different experiences. Yeah, and so it's again they've kind of played with having the different broadcasts, like college football playoff. They would have one with kind of a not R-rated, but almost a, more of a barstool sports type broadcast. It's still ESPN, but they they would go for a little bit more laid back, a little more casual, a little bit more. The commentators are more trying to be the entertainers than letting the players or the, the game be what's the entertainment. And then you have your traditional broadcast and you know, it is, it is different when you're basically consuming a different product. It's, it does lack that unifying quality that the sports have always had. And maybe that's what will be necessary in order to maintain a kind of universal audience in an era where it's difficult to do that because preferences are so different, but maybe not. I don't know. Okay, so you mentioned Barstool, and this is probably a good place to to wrap up for the week because Dave Portnoy has returned to Barstool. I think the story was he sold it. He sold the company for half a billion dollars and then repurchased it for a dollar. Now, Barstool is a fascinating property in a lot of ways. 
when you look at, <clears throat> I don't know, the voices of young men, <laughs> and as soon as you get into the voices of young men, I feel like, oh, we're about to get into trouble here, right? We're going to, it's like an Andrew Tate on the horizon kind of thing. But, you know, Joe Rogan and Dave Portnoy have, you know, I think they've become the voices for that. And again, it's kind of funny because I think Rogan's in his 50s. Portnoy looks like he's in his 40s, but they are the guys that are sort of talking for you know the 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 bros and that's kind of a key word in all this right the bro segment and so i saw you know because it's all over it's all over social media portnoy's back with with barstool and they're doing their pay-per-view fighting um, property rough and ready i think they call it rough and rowdy rough and rowdy yeah wow what a mess I, I mean, it's a, it's, it is interesting. It's also this, the kind of stigma that's tied to those properties is pretty interesting. Like I, I know people who will say, I can't believe I'm about to say this to Barstool, yeah, Barstool or Joe Rogan. Like people will say, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Joe Rogan actually made a good point. Just this one time. I'm not saying I agree with everything he says, but one time it's like people are scared to be associated with them because it might get them canceled or something. And, and a I lot think, like criticizing the women's national soccer team, right? Right. It's, and I, I think that those platforms yeah. have become popular because they're perceived, at least by their audience, as like, oh, this is like actual freedom of speech. And this people they can say whatever they want. They can and to some audiences that enables them to actually be funny or actually speak the truth or whatever it might be that that resonates with them. And so it works. Again, not a universal product, like very segmented. It's going to work with one audience very, very well to the point that ESPN tried to acquire one of the podcasts for from Barstool, pardon my take, and I think they did one episode and got canned because they used too, too much language, too much insensitive language, you know, whatever you want to call it. They're, they weren't going to abide by the brand guidelines, if you will. And so, and and that kind of gave Barstool a life of its own where they almost built more of a following from getting canceled by ESPN. <laughs> and so again, anyone that watches ESPN and is like, oh, I'm sick of this. They're always pushing agenda, blah, blah, blah. It's like they created a sports outlet for those people. And it can be argued by anyone that you know they overcorrected or that you know this or that they're doing a good thing that's terrible for society whatever i'm not making a, a point about that as much as an observation that you know that they, they there's a, a market for it and it's it's a niche market but it's a pretty it's such a big market that having a share of it is significant to the point that you know i imagine dave portnoy and company are doing quite well as are their their various hosts and co-hosts and the the entertainers that they partner with well and i'll just say this i think these are you know, especially for where we sit, like I said, this intersection of sports, culture, analytics, they're really fascinating guys to watch. You know, Portnoy, and I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not saying I'm a fan of Portnoy in terms of like, I'll watch his pizza reviews, but the way he's positioned it all and sort of become like this spokesman for, like I said, for lack of a better term, the bros is absolutely fascinating. And so in terms of where this culture is going, I tend to want to pay a lot of attention to Portnoy and Rogan. Okay. Also, Portnoy is a guy who makes sports podcasts and shows about gambling and uh, amateur wrestling events. Was invited to the White House to speak with the president 
a couple years back. Former I'm president. guessing that was the previous president, right? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> but so to give you an idea, you know, our ongoing discussion of the intersection of sports and politics, it, it's to the point where these guys are invited to the White House, these guys who are covering sports. No real, no, it doesn't seem to be an agenda per se. Maybe the lack of an agenda or just the fact that he offended the right people maybe earned him an invitation. But again, another observation in, in the ongoing saga with sports and politics and whether or not they factor into one another. And I think our show's consensus is that, yes, in fact, they, you know, there's, there's a huge overlap. Yeah. Okay. And so last thing. We are about to enter another form of competition, and that is the 2024 Republican primary season. Our competitors, Doug, our competitors look to be, in terms of the folks that have made the main stage, right? And again, it's, you know, competition, some entertainment. This is a fun thing to watch. It's also a fun thing to talk about, though I think we always get a little nervous as soon as it gets political that we're going to cross some line that we don't even know exists. But we got Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, who says he's not showing up, Nikki Haley, two folks in the top, I think, five from South Carolina, which is a strange, you know, kind of strange little aside in all this. Mike Pence, Chris Christie. Christie's going to be a fun one to watch in this. He seems to be going to play the role of the angry the angry man shouting at Donald Trump, Vivek Ragaswamy. And again, my, you know, my interest is primarily in this concept of fandom. No one knew who Vivek Ragaswamy was. So he is something that has been largely created by Fox News. And so it's, again, sort of an, an interesting brand to see created in real time to see how this plays out. And the last one, I think his name is Doug Burgum. I might be getting that name wrong. He's interesting because this is the candidate that was giving away $20 gift cards for $1 donations so he could hit the criteria to be on the stage. We don't need to go into depth on all this. It's just that, you know, this is going to be a vigorous, like I said, a vigorous competition. There's all sorts of branding stories that come through in all this in terms of what they've tried to build. And so we will start to spend a little bit more time on this event going forward. So we'll wrap here. Like I said, as always, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. And we will have that generational study on fandom out on the web this week.